He watched the sail grow for a long time, trying to decide whether he would soon leave or die. Then would be easier, he knew. All he had to do was go inside his cave and let the ship pass by, and that would find him. For days now, the fever had been burning throughout him, turning his bowels to brown water and making him shiver in his restless sleep. Each morning found him weaker. It would not be much longer, he had taken to tell himself. If the fever did not kill him, thirst surely would. He had no fresh water here, but for the occasional rainfall that would in those on the rock, only three days passed, or had it been four? On his rock it was hard to tell the days apart. His pools had been dry as all born, and the side of the bay rippling green and grey all around him had been almost more than he could bear. Once he began to drink sea water, the end would come swiftly, he knew, but all the same he had almost taken that first swallow, so perched was his throat. A sudden squall had saved him. He had grown so feeble by then that it was all he could do dry in rain. With his eyes closed and his mouth open, and let the water splash down on his cracked lips and swollen tongue. But after all, he felt it stronger, and the islands, pools, and cracks and surfaces once more had brimmed with life. But that had been three days ago, or maybe four, and most of the water was gone now. Some had evaporated, and he had sucked up the rest. But the morrow he would be testing the mud again, and licking the damp cold stones at the bottom of the depressions. And if not thirst or fever, salvation would kill him. His island was no more than a barren spire, a turn up out of the immensity of Blackwater Bay. When the tide was low, he could sometimes find tiny crabs along the stony trend where he had washed ashore after the battle. They nipped his fingers painfully before he smashed them apart on the rocks to suck the meat from their claws and the guts from their shells. But the strand vanished whenever the tide came rushing in, and devils had to scramble up the rock to keep from being swept out into the bay once more. The point of the spire was fifteen feet above the water at high tide, but when the bay grew rough, the spray went even harder, so there was no way to keep dry. Even in the scale, which was really no more than a hollow in the rock beneath an overhand, nothing grew on the rock but lichen, and even the sea birds shunned the place. Now and again, some girls would land atop the spire and devils would try to catch one, but they were too quick for him to get close. They took to flying the stones at them, but he was too weak to throw with much force, so even when his stones hit, the girls would only scream at him in annoyance and then take to the air. There were other rocks, visible from his refugee. Distant spires taller than his own, the nearest stood. Ah, uh, stood a good forty feet above the water. He guessed, though it was hard to be sure at 
the assistance. A cloud of gods that swirled about constantly, and often devils of Thor are crossing over to raid their nests. But the water was cold here. The current strong and treacherous, and he knew he did not have strength for such a swim that would kill him as sure as drinking water. Autumn in the narrow sea could often be wet and rainy. You remember from years past that the days were not bad so long as the sun was shining, but the nights were growing colder and sometimes wind would come gusting across the bay, driving a line of white caps before it, and before long devils would be soaked and shivering. Fever and chills assaulted him in turn, and of late he had developed a persistent rocking cough. His cave was all the shelter he had, and that was it enough. Driftwood and bits of turd debris would wash up on the strand during low tide, but he had no way to strike a spark or start a fire. Once in desperation, he had tried rubbing two pieces of driftwood against each other, but the wood was rotted, and his efforts earned him only blisters. His clothes were sudden as well, and he had lost one of his boots somewhere in the bay before he washed up here. Thirst, hunger, exposure, they were his companions. With him every hour of every day and in time he had come to think of them as his friends. Soon enough, one or the other of his friends would take pity on him and free him from this endless misery. Or perhaps he would simply walk into the water one day and strike out for the shore that he knew lay somewhere to the north, beyond this side. It was too far to swim, as weak as he was, but that did not matter. That was always being a sailor. He was meant to die at sea. The gods beneath the waters have been waiting for me, he told himself. It's past time I went to them. But now there was a sail, only a speck on the horizon, but growing larger. A ship where no ship should be. He knew where his rock lay more or less. It was one of a series of sea monsters that rose from the floor of the quarter bay. The tallest of them jutted a hundred feet above the tide, and a dozen lesser monsters stood thirty to sixty feet wide. Sailors called them spares of the Merlin King, and knew that for every one that broke the surface, a dozen locks of treacherous lay just below it, and he kept them with the sense kept his curves well away from them. They was watched sail swell throughout the red rimmed eyes, and tried to hear the sound of the wind cough in the canvas. She's coming this way. Unless she changed girls soon, she would pass within hailing distance of his meager, meager refuge. It might mean life. If he wanted it, he was not sure he did. Why should I live? He thought as tears blurred his vision. God be good. Why? My sons are dead. They honored American methods. Perhaps Devin as well. How can a father outlive so many strong young sons? How would I go on? I am a hollow shell. The crabs died. There's nothing left inside. Don't they know that? They had sailed up that water rush, flying the fiery heart of the Lord of Light. 
There was a black beta had been in the second line of battle between Dale's Wraith and Allard on Lady Maria. Marika, his third-born, was an old master on fury at the center of the first line, while Mather served as his father second. Beneath the walls, on the red keep, Stanis Baratheon's galleys had joined battle with their boy, King Joffrey's smaller fleet, and for a few moments the river had rung to the thrum of bone strings and the crash of iron round the shattering oars and us alike. And then some vast beasts had led out roar, and the green flames were all around them. Wildfire, pyromancers, peace, the jade demon. Mathis had been standing at his elbow on the black on the jack of Black Bertha, when the ship seemed to lift from the water. Davos found himself in the river, failing as the current took him and spun him round and round. Upstream the flames that rippled had the sky fifty feet out. He had seen Black Beta fire and fury, and a dozen other ships had seen burning men leaping into the water to drown. Wraith and Lady Mariah were gone sunk or shattered on vanished behind the veil of white fire, and there was no time to look for them because the mouth of the river was almost upon him. And across the mouth of the river, the Lannisters had raised a great iron chain. From bank to bank, there was nothing but burning ships and white fire. The sight of it seemed to stop his heart for a moment, and he could still remember the sound of it. The, track, the crackle of flames, the east of steam, the shrieks of dying men, and the beard of the terrible head against his face as the current swept him down to Warhol. All he needed to do was nothing. A few moments more, and he would be with his sons now, resting in the cool green mud on the bottom of the bay, with the fish nibbling at his face. Instead, he suckered in a red gulf of air and dove, kicking for the bottom of the river. His only hope was to pass under the chain and the burning ships and the white fire that floated on the surface of the water to swim hard for the safety of the bay beyond. Davos had always been a strong swimmer, and he'd worn no steel that day, but for the end he'd lost when he'd lost Black Bertha. As he knifed throughout the green murk, he saw other men struggling beneath the water, burned down to drawn beneath the weight of blade and mare. Davos swam past them, kicking with all the strength left in his legs, giving himself up to the current, the water filling his eyes. Deeper he went, and deeper and deeper still, with every stroke it grew harder toward his breath. He remembered seeing the bottom soft and dim as a stream of bubbles burst from his lips. Something touched his leg, a snag or a fish or a drowning man, he could not tell. He needed air by then, but he was afraid. Was he past the chain yet? Was he out in the bay? If he came up under a ship, he would drown. And if he surfaced and missed the floating patches of white fire, his first breath would stir his lungs to ash. It was in the water to look up. But there was nothing to see but green darkness, and then he sprung too far, and suddenly he could no longer tell up from down. Panic took hold of him. His hands fell against the bottom of the river and sent up a cloud of murder that blinded him. His chest was growing and tired by the instant. He clawed at the water, kicking, bashing himself, turning. 
Miss Lang screaming for air, kicking, kicking, lost now in the river mark, kicking, kicking, kicking until he could kick no longer. When he opened his mouth to scream, the water came rushing in, tasting of salt and never sea wolf knew that he was drawn. The next evening, the sun was up, and he lay upon a stony stand, strand beneath a spire of naked stone, with the empty bay all round and broken mass that burned still, and his swollen corpse beside him. The mass, the sail, and the dead man vanished away. The next thought I died, leaving devils alone on his rock amidst the spears of the Merlin King. His long ears as a smuggler had made waters around the king's landing more familiar to him than any home he'd ever had, and he knew his refuge was no more than a speak of the charts, in a place that honest sailors steered away from, not toward. The devil himself had come by it once or twice in his smuggling days, the better to stay unseen. When they find me dead here, if ever they do, perhaps they will name the rock for me. He thought, on a rock they call it, it will be my tombstone and my legacy. He deserved no more. The father protects his children, the septons of thought, but devils had led his boys into the fire. They would never give his wife the child they had prayed for and allowed with his girl in Old Town, and his girl in King's Landing, and his girl in Bravos, they would all be weeping soon. Mathos would never captain his own ship, as he had dreamed. Mary would never have his knighthood. How can I live when they are dead? So many brave knights and mighty lords have died, but the man than me, and I mourn. Crawl inside your cave, there was... Go inside and shrink up small, and the ship will go away, and no one will trouble you ever again. Sleep on your stone pillow and let the girls speak. Peck out your eyes while the crabs feast on your flesh. You have fastened on enough of them. You owe them. I smuggler hide and be quiet and die. The sail was almost on him. A few moments more, and the ship would be safely passed, and he could die in peace. His hand reached for his throat, fumbling for the small leather pouch she always wore about his neck. Inside, he kept bones of the four fingers his king had shortened for him on the day he made Devil's Night. My luck, his shortened fingers patted at his chest, groping, finding nothing. The pouch was gone, and the finger bones with them. Sanders could never understand why he'd kept bones. To remind me of my king's justice, he whispered throughout great lips, but now they were gone. The fire took my luck as well as my son's. In his dreams, the river was still aflame, and demons danced upon the waters with fire whips in their hands, while men blackened and burned beneath the lash. Mother, have mercy, devil's prayed. Save me, gentle mother, save us all. My luck is gone, and my son's. He was weeping freely now, salt tears streaming down his cheeks. The fire took you all, the fire. Perhaps it was only wind blowing against the rock, or the sound of the sea on the shore, but for an instant that was sea wolf heard her answer. You call the fire, she whispered, her voice as faint as the sound of waves in a sea hell, and sad and soft. You burned us, burned us, burned us. It was her, Devil's cried. Mother, don't forsake us. 
It was her who burned you, the red woman Melisandre heard. He could see her. The heart-shaped face, the red eyes, the long covering hair, her red gowns, moving like flames as she walked as wheel of silk and satin. She had come from Asahi in the east. She had come to Dragonstone and Mount Selsea and the Queen's Mouth for air, alien good, and then the king, Senate Baratheon himself, he had gone so far as to put the fiery heart on his banners, the fiery heart of Aurora. Lord of light and God of flame and shadow. And Melisandre's urging he had dragged the seven from the sapped and dragonstone, burned them before the castle gates, and later he had burned the god's wood at storms and as well, even the heart tree, a huge white wee wood with a solemn face. It was your work, Devil said again more weakly, a work and yours on your night. You rode her into storms and in the black of night, so she might lose her shadow child. You are not guiltless, no. You rode beneath her banner and flew it from your mast. You watched the seven burn at Dragonstone and did nothing. She gave the father's justice to the fire and the mother's mercy and the wisdom of the crown. Smith and stranger made and warrior. She burned them all to the glory of her cruel god, and you stood and held your tongue. Even when she killed old Master Crescent, even then you did nothing. The sea was a hundred yards away and moving fast across the bay. In a few more moments it would be past him and dwindling. A dwindling. Sir Devil Sweetworth began to climb his rock. He pulled himself up with trembling hands, his hair swimming with fever. Twice his maimed fingers leaped on the damp stone, and he almost fell, but somehow he managed to cling to his perch. If he fell, he was dead, and he had to live, for a little while more, at least. There was something he had to do. The top of the rock was too small to stand on safely. As weak as he was, so he crouched and waved his fleshless arms. Sheep. He screamed into the wind. Sheep, here, here. From up here he could see her more clearly. The lion stripped all the bronze figure head, the below wind sail. There was a name painted on her hoof, but devils had never learned to read. Sheep, he called again. Help me, help me. He crowned man on her full castle, so him and pointed. He watched as other sailors murdered to the gunwale to gape at him. A short while later, the Galicia came down, her oars laid out, and she swept around toward his refuge. She was to be to approach the rock closely, but thirty yards away, she launched a small boat. Devils clung to his rock and watched it creep toward him. Four men were rowing, while a fifth sat in the pearl. You. The fifth man called out when they were only a few feet from his island. You up on the rock. Who are you? As Maglev who rose above himself, Thor Devils, a fool who loved his king too much and forgot his gods. Aye, his throat was perched, and he had forgotten how to talk. The words felt strange on his tongue and sounded stranger in his ears. I was in the battle. I was a captain, knight, I was a knight. Ah, yes, sir, the man said, and serving which king? 
The galley might be Jeffreys, he realized suddenly. If he spoke his own name now, she would abandon him to his fate. But no. Her hole was stripped. She was the son. She was Sadder's sons. The mother sent her here. The mother in her mercy. She had a task for him. Thunder as leaves. He knew that. I have a king still and sons. I have other sons. And a wife loyal and loving. How could he have forgotten? The mother was merciful indeed. Stannis, he shouted back at the Lizani, God be good, I serve King Stannis. Ah, yeah, said the man in the boat, and so do we.